As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. going on everybody welcome to another episode of the buffalo beat and this is our first post-game edition of the show the buffalo bills defeat the uh, los angeles rams by a score of 31 to 10 by the time they got to the end of the game it was a thorough thumping the bills looked as good as uh, as possible in that second half and certainly they did not uh, quell any of the expectations of the 2022 season based on what we saw at SoFi Stadium. And uh, and certainly now we'll see what they can do in the season moving forward, but uh, we're here to break everything down. My name is Joe Biscaglia, coming to you from Los Angeles, where I'll be here for approximately three and a half, four more hours before I fly out to Detroit. This is actually a first for the Buffalo Beat. Uh, We are doing an episode where we are on different time zones. So I am on, obviously, I'm out in Los Angeles. It is 3.09 a.m. We had to kind of schedule it this way. My man, Matthew Fairburn, is back in Buffalo. It is 6.09 a.m., so he's just waking up. I have yet to go to sleep. So if we're a little loopy, you know why. <laughs> but uh, Matthew Fairburn, um, that was a pretty uh, a pretty killer um, debut from a Bills from a Bills perspective. They really could not have asked for much more from uh, from that game and. It's really hard to ding them for too much from from what we saw, especially considering who they were up against. I guess the the overall momentum of of the Rams coming into that game, it being their Super Bowl celebration, them being a super talented team, and then them just basically once it got uh, into the second half, them blowing the doors off off the Rams and not making it non competitive down the stretch. Yeah, you felt coming into the game that with with all of the buildup to the Bills season and all the expectations that 
that we're mounting. I mean, the way that people were talking about this season, the amount of people that are picking the Bills to win the Super Bowl is incredible. And it felt like it was going to be hard to live up to it. And the way the Bills played on Thursday night was it they did live up to it. They looked like the team that everybody has been saying they are all summer long. And that was not an easy task because people are building them up to be the best team in the NFL. They're the Super Bowl favorites, and that's a, a high bar to clear. But they looked the part on Thursday night. And I think top to bottom, there were some key elements to how they looked. Well, I'm sure we'll get into detail on on Josh Allen and the night that he had. Uh, I don't know that it was a surprise, but I think there were a few elements of it that that stood out to me that were encouraging for the season. You had the defensive line, particularly Von Miller right away, uh, making his presence felt and the entire defensive line, you know, providing what the Bills hoped they would in this game. And really the defense as a whole making life extremely difficult for Matthew Stafford, but it started up front and they made the Rams look, look pretty bad. And, you know, it was 10 to 10 going into halftime. The bills had some turnovers. They weren't perfect, but the talent at every level of the roster was pretty evident. And you got a glimpse of what this team can be when everything is clicking. It won't be clicking for all 17 games, but when it is, they very much have a claim to being the Super Bowl favorites. And I feel like that was on display on kickoff night on Thursday. Yeah, it I mean, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, it felt like it was a continuation of where they left off um, in in uh, the playoffs after the Patriots game, which which you saw uh, in person, just like I did after the Chiefs game, which everybody saw how how that game went for the Bills offense. I mean, they were they were unstoppable o- over those two postseason games. And that's kind of how it felt again at SoFi Stadium. Josh Allen and the passing offense felt inevitable on a drive-to-drive basis. They converted on 90% of of their third downs. They did not punt, <laughs> which is wild because now it's become a staple of of who they are. I think I think I saw it might have been Ryan Talbot, our buddy, who said they haven't uh punted in 4 of their last 6 games, which is ridiculous if especially because we know that the bills are willing to punt it's not as though they're just going forward on fourth down again and again and again like it's because the offense has been that potent and in what they're trying to do allen was just on another level like he was back in the postseason and he's the perfect place to start here obviously i mean we'll get into the pass rush and, and everything along those lines ken dorsey's debut um, how they kind of switch things up with with their receiver room, which I which I found pretty interesting. But what they 
what Alan specifically has been able to turn himself into is just another reminder of why this is a Super Bowl favorite and why they are capable of these grandiose things that that we have been talking about for months and months leading up to the season and why the uh, the training camp and the preseason just felt like secondary and it's just felt like okay this is just kind of keeping everyone occupied until the real thing gets here because when you have a quarterback playing at at that type of level and you know what that quarterback is capable of it's a weird thing to say but you almost kind of forget and you almost kind of take it as a given and you start to focus on so many other things but once you have you haven't seen it in a while and it it becomes on display the way that it was against the Rams you go Oh yeah, I mean, if if they've got that in in the back pocket, if they got that in the holster for what they are able to do at their at their peak offensively, then this is going to be a team that can beat anyone in the NFL, regardless of situation. And not like a, a caveat a caveat of like, okay, this style of of team could really give them trouble. No, they this is this is an offense designed with a quarterback who is playing as well as if not better than every quarterback in the league. I mean, this is this is an offense that is capable of of anything when they are playing at that level. So I found it really interesting that they had this very long pause between the Chiefs game and the Rams game, and they were able to just pick it up uh, like like no time had passed at all. And that is a remarkable thing with a new offensive coordinator, mind you. And uh, obviously, I know we, we kind of said it in the last um, episode ahead of the game that we're not going to be able to get a true gauge on Ken Dorsey uh, until we start to get into like October once teams get to get a feel of who he is because there was this element of new with Ken Dorsey and he was able to kind of catch uh catch the the Rams off guard and you know not really knowing what to expect from him as a play caller but seeing what they were able to do what Josh Allen specifically was able to do he was just on fire every level he was patient um he baited the Rams into mistakes, and once once he finally got them to creep up, boom, over the top on a couple of different occasions. Hit Gabe Davis for a 47-yarder. Hit, hit Stefan Diggs for a 53-yard touchdown. Like, it's – they had the pop plays. They had the underneath stuff. They had screen stuff. They, they got Zach Moss the ball six times because that just showed how patient they were, and Zach Moss wasn't even out there. Uh, like a ton to the to the effect that he should have gotten six catches. There's just so many different elements to where this this team was just on on a different level than uh, than we had seen them before the playoffs last year. Like I said, it was a continuation, and I was very impressed that they were able to to put all of that together um, with such a long break in between and with so many different variables. 
they they were uh, absolutely incredible in that game. Once once uh, that ironed out the I think the the two mistakes that they made in the first half. Yeah, I think what stood out to me about Josh Allen the most, I mean, he was nearly flawless in the game, but a big difference I've seen in him over the last couple of years, you know, those those big plays, like the touchdown to Stephon Diggs and Gabriel, you know, the 47-yarder to Gabriel Davis, those plays are what you started to expect. I mean, even before Josh Allen was this version of Josh Allen, those plays happened. Watching the game last night and and seeing the way that he operated the offense, the stat that will stand out to me, last year in 2021, over the course of the season, 46% of Josh Allen's throws came within two and a half seconds of the snap. Last night, 74% of his throws came Mm -hmm. within two and a half seconds of the snap. It felt like, you know, it's funny. Chris Collinsworth at one point mentioned, you know, it feels like watching Tom Brady, the way that Josh Allen was playing. I was actually earlier in the game thinking it had a Peyton Manning flavor to it where... Mm -hmm. Where it was, obviously, there wasn't, you know, Josh Allen's not as animated before the snap. Uh, He's not, you know, quite that level of orchestrating what's going on. But And similar to Tom Brady, Drew Brees, being able to take the little thing. Like, it's got to be so frustrating for defenses when you're playing somebody as physically talented as Josh Allen who can hit the 47-yarders and the 50-yard touchdown to Diggs, but also is going to know where it needs to go quickly. I mean, within two and a half seconds and have guys who can get open that quickly. But also, last night was a great example of how much of a weapon Josh Allen's arm is in the short and intermediate areas of the field. He was really really inaccurate in those areas as a younger quarterback. And now he's right on the money, not only with his accuracy, but knowing where to go with the ball quickly, having a plan and being able to just pick apart the defense little by little. If you think about, and I know different eras of quarterbacking, you know, this new era of quarterbacking, you have quarterbacks playing the position a little bit differently. The guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes that are, you know, constantly extending plays and looking for big plays. But when you think about the the generation that came before, two two of the best that are retired and, and the one that's still somehow going, Brady, Manning, and Breeze, did a ton of damage because of their ability to get the ball out quickly. And pick apart defenses in the short and intermediate area of the field to set things up for later in games when those opportunities presented themselves. Because eventually when you get to the level that Josh Allen and those other quarterbacks are at, you have defenses trying to take that away. And part of how you set it up is not just a running game, 
but that short and intermediate passing game. Even Aaron Rodgers, who's the the big play, you know, sort of the guy that bridged the gap between these two eras of quarterbacking, gets rid of the ball quickly when he needs to and when gets the offense in rhythm that way. And that felt like uh, the next evolution of Josh Allen and his understanding of this offense and his understanding of how to play the game, how to manipulate defenses. Yes, you know, he, he had the interception, um, the one, I, the, the one to Isaiah McKenzie was not his fault at all. Uh, there was, yeah. Uh, and, but he was, you know, there's a reason he wasn't throwing incompletions. Uh, you know, everything was on target, but he was going to the right places. And, he wasn't trying to the the fact that he was getting the ball out that quickly impressed me because a lot of times you'd see him take that extra half second or second or two seconds or five seconds. I mean, he's that type of quarterback where he will extend the play and never say, say die. And he was okay. Just chipping away until he needed to. And that's that's pretty dangerous for the rest of the league and other defenses that are trying to figure out how to stop him because that part of his game, if it's on, is going to make this offense really a headache. Yeah. Yeah, just unstoppable is, is the word that kind of comes to mind because when you add that element to it where he is on time delivering um and dicing up a defense post-snap processing uh and setting up defenders to where they're doing exactly what he wants them to um by by looking off a certain way and then and then knowing where he's going to go with with the ball because everything is intentional um rather than it just being a make it up as you go situation like it was so often for him as a rookie now it's everything is done with intent and that is an impressive evolution for him because no one had any idea that he would get to this point in time because now like you said the intermediate accuracy has grown exponentially from his rookie season to the point where he is just on it i mean went 26 of 31 and like I don't know only three of those were his fault where he he didn't complete the pass like there was a there was a throw to Dawson Knox that probably should have been caught um even the one into the end zone where he threw it through um it it was kind of a weird play it looked like he was gonna run it uh tried to get Stefan Diggs a touchdown um even that looked like it was it almost could have been a uh, a completion and then of course the interception over the middle of the field where um he kind of threw it behind it was it was off time from uh from Jamison Crowder and that was the reason that it allowed the defender to kind of get back into the play but that was that was it for him the turnover worthy plays not really there outside of that one that wound up becoming a turnover uh i i found it interesting that even when the offensive line had a breakdown in front of him, he minimized those sack plays. He got sacked twice, 
but it was only for five yards. It wasn't a crippling, um, crippling effort as he's trying to drop back, drop back. He he knew when to take the sack. He knew when the the defense had him, and he minimized the damage. So these are all elements of high level quarterbacking, and now we now we see just the fruits of all of all of this and. You you said something interesting and it kind of triggered a, a thought to me where he you said he had totally total command of this offense and and uh, knew it like crazy but I think it's now just his offense because there have been so many things carefully crafted over the years that he has that he has um, been able to do well and uh, what he has grown in and and how they have kind of formulated it around him and now they just know what he likes and he can probably change things on the fly he's in total command and then when you add the improvisational stuff on top of it like getting out um getting out of the pocket and then chucking it deep down the field or uh, getting out and scrambling and when it seems like the defense hey they finally found him and then it's like a a gut-wrenching um, play on a third down where he just gets out in the field and then stiff stiff arms a, a defender into next week. Like, how do you how do you stop that when when he's playing at that level? It, it's just a multi-tool quarterback that, for the most part, doesn't really exist anywhere else in the NFL. He's a damn unique guy and like I mean obviously you know Rodgers really isn't getting out and running all that much anymore same thing with Brady um Lamar is not quite the pocket passer that uh that Josh Allen is Mahomes he can run like the the Mahomes and um and Allen thing they're they're probably the most similar of of all of them out there uh Justin Herbert he's not much of a much of a runner he can run when 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 he gets out but like there, there's nobody really like this this um this dude in Josh Allen who is just in this this package of a six foot five 250 plus or maybe a little under 250 pound behemoth of a quarterback like I, I, I did you see the the Mina Kimes tweet like that the Bills actually have a, a real life Buffalo playing quarterback yeah. for them. It's it's kind it's pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, not only is there nobody really like him in the NFL, it's hard to think of that many, or really any, who have been quite like him before. Uh, and mm-hmm. because the fact that you know last night he had the elements of you know some of those great quarterbacks that I mentioned. And he's also got some elements of what made, you know, and what continues to make Aaron Rodgers great. The difference is that those guys weren't, I mean, not only were they not runners the same way Josh Allen is, but they weren't, you know, they weren't as athletic, but they also weren't as big. And who, what quarterback is running over? you know, linebackers and stiff arming defensive backs and trying to lower his shoulder. It's honestly, so it's really, it's, 
elements, the only quarterback I can remember that was as much of a load in the open field was Cam Newton. And Cam Newton, you know, that's probably the running style that you compare him to. But I think as a passer, Josh Allen has evolved beyond what Cam Newton ever was. But it does bleed into an interesting, you know, zoom out discussion on does Josh Allen need to be running 10 times? Does he need to be running 10 times the way that he ran 10 times? Because this was not a, you know, get 10 yards and duck out of bounds 10 attempts. This was 10 attempts that were probably, you know, much like uh, a running back's 10 attempts. Like, uh, you know, Devin Singletary had eight carries, you know, and two catches. So 10 touches. I feel like Josh Allen took more punishment on his 10 than Singletary took on his 10. That in the in the short term, it's not as bothersome. It's not as, you know, the idea that he's putting himself at injury risk, I think. Yeah, there is an element that anytime he runs, these teams are going to take a shot at him. And I don't think any, the Rams brought him down hard a few times. And I do not blame them at all because I think teams will, if they haven't already, will start to learn that when he takes off, you absolutely have to get him down to the ground violently because if you don't, he might break free and he's not going down. Like, he's not going down just because you wrap him up like a lot of quarterbacks, including some of the great running quarterbacks, will. It's kind of Lamar Jackson is similar because when he takes off, he very much is, you know, like a running back in in some ways. And he and Josh Allen both understand how to run the football so that, you know, you never are worried that Devin Singletary gets 15 carries or whatever. You're not like, man, every time he gets the ball, I think he's going to get hurt. And Josh Allen, I sort of feel the same way because he knows how to run and he's big enough to handle the contact. And teams are going to take him down as such. It's going to be like, you know, when they're taking down a big, powerful back because that's what he is, essentially. And so he's going to take some violent hits. He certainly doesn't seem to mind, uh, it's certainly possible that that one of them will injure him. What I wonder about, and I don't know because he's so big and he's so, like we said, there hasn't really been many people like him in the NFL. But, you know, five, eight, ten years from now, do the hits start to add up? Uh, you know, he can still be great without it. But when you mix that element in, he's even more frustrating to defend. It's just a matter of how necessary is it on kickoff night against the defending Super Bowl champions on national television. Yeah, you're trying to, you know, they're beyond statement games at this point. They should be. And but it's still one of those games where they're showing themselves what they can be and showing the league what they can be. And so, sure, you know, mix in a few of those. But he can be really dangerous without 10 runs. And 
I don't know the answer to what it's going to do to him five, eight, ten years down the road. I really don't. Five, eight, ten years down the road, he could be perfectly fine. He could be still doing it. Uh, but it's it's less about, oh, man, he might not be there for week three or week four and more, you know, is he going to be there when he's 35? You know, quarterbacks are playing a lot longer. And frankly, as long as he's playing, they have – a claim to being in the conversation among the Super Bowl contenders. So you want some thought toward preserving his body uh, for the long term. Normally not a thought with quarterbacks, but you can you can bet that after the way Cam Newton went downhill that they're thinking about it because he looked like he would never slow down, but eventually the accumulation of the hits started to take a toll on his shoulder and on other parts of his body that, you know, he just was a shell of himself. So not something that they need to think about tomorrow. Uh, you know, you're trying to get a Super Bowl and it would be, you know, if it takes five years off his career for a Super Bowl, people will say it's worth it. But that's the only I used to think about it in terms of, oh, man, he's not going to make it through the season, which that's possible no matter what you do at quarterback. You're as likely to get hurt in the pocket as you are out of it. And this guy clearly understands how to get hit and how to take on contact. He almost feeds off of it and has his best games when he's taking the hardest hits in some ways. But that was the only thought that popped into my head last night is you have the, you know, and in part too, because of the guy on the other side, Matthew Stafford, looked I don't know what what's going on with the elbow or what but you started to realize last night like yes the expectation for quarterbacks is now that they're going to go you know Tom Brady's screwing up everyone's head as far as what's possible and Aaron Rodgers to an extent <laughs> too the way that he's playing yeah. so good late into his career and I started to think about Matthew Stafford last night because he looked not great and mm-hmm. he has taken a brutal punishment over the course of his career, what he went through in Detroit. And he is not even a runner. So, you know, a- Andrew Luck is is another example of a guy that took a brutal punishment and eventually it, it wore him down. So, you know, if Josh Allen only lasts till he's 35 – that used to be really good, you know. Like it's it's okay if he doesn't last till forty five. But uh, it, that was that's the only thought I have about his running because I do not necessarily think he's at any more risk in the open field than he is standing in the pocket. He might be more at risk in the pocket, and I think the more you get in this guy's head and make him hesitant, the more he's going to put himself in awkward spots. There's nothing awkward about him stiff arming a defensive back you know it's awkward for the defensive back like that's you know that's who i worry about when he's about to lower his shoulder on a defensive back because he's very big and he knows better than he did a few years ago how to use it and how to run and he's confident and sure of himself and i think that's an element that they'd they'd rather keep than completely throw out yeah I'm, I am glad that you brought it up because it's something I, I touched on in, in the um, 
very briefly, but it's something I touched on in, in my uh, post-game observations column, which I think is going to post at some point uh, this morning. Um, it eventually, like, because he, he takes some really awkward hits in, in the way that he goes down at the play, because a lot of times, because he doesn't go down, it, invite, it invites more than one defender to get after him, and it brings him down, and... It, it's almost to the point where, like, at least two or three times a game, I'm thinking to myself, is he going to get up? Like, because eventually that luck is going to run out. The more times you put yourself at liberty uh, with those hits and inviting that type of contact, at, at some point, a shoulder is going to be positioned the wrong way. And it's all random, too. Like, it's just the matter of, like, I don't know, a few inches where it's a body part isn't the way that it's supposed to be when you go down because there's an additional defender there to kind of interrupt. Like, that's that's the type of stuff you have to be cognizant of, especially when you are playing at that sort of level. And to me, I thought with them down or with them up a couple of touchdowns, into the fourth quarter, they had Allen had two runs down the stretch of that game where it's just like, what are you doing? Like, why why is that necessary at that point in the game? The Rams were beaten <laughs> by that point. Um, and yeah, I, I I guess I can probably see from a when when you're up by two touchdowns, but when you're up three touchdowns and you're still doing that, like what are you doing? Like, just, just chill with, with that. You don't need to, to run him. And I know it's part of the offense a little bit, but I mean, you, you, you want this guy for the long haul um, of the season. And you brought up the, the down the line effects of it. Yeah. That, that should absolutely be a consideration, but even the here and now, there's just so many times where I where you sit there and go, oh God, that was that was an awkward fall. And the one time that he didn't pop up right away was after the um or was in the Tampa Bay game last year in in the second half, where he goes on this ridiculous run, and then because he's trying to extend the play just a little bit longer, winds up injuring, I think it was his foot ends up coming to the the post-game press conference in a precautionary walking boot. There was a, there was a big to-do about whether or not he would play the next game, wound up playing the next game, and they lucked out. But that's not the only time that that's, that's been an issue. Like, they've been lucking out with him every single time. He had the, oh, what was it, the... It, his rookie season, I think it happened against, against the Raiders. I forget the exact name. It was like a baseball injury. Um... Because he went down awkwardly and he got he got brought down in that way because he would, you know, it was just an, it was an awkward fall. That was really the last time that they were unlucky with with him. So, I don't know. It's just he's way more important than than anybody else on the field for the Bills. With due respect to Von Miller and with due respect to Stefan Diggs. Josh Allen makes everything go. And if he is missing any amount of time because 
he's resistant to go down or you're calling one too many running plays, then that dramatically alters your season. So that's why it should be a topic of conversation. And you should not be running the ball with your star quarterback up a trio of touchdowns late in the season opener when like you could you could sense it. The Rams were beaten. They looked defeated out there. And because they realized that they could not stop the Bills offense unless they screwed up. So I yeah, I, I I'm I'm totally with you on that. That's that's one area that uh that needs to improve and it's gotten better over the years and Josh has gotten smarter with with the hits that he's taking, but he's still taking a lot of hits, a lot more than than most quarterbacks and and bigger hits than, than most quarterbacks. And that's going to accumulate over the course of a season and a career. And it it gets to a point of you know, is it when does it stop becoming necessary in the course of a game? And that's where there was probably three or four, you know, I'd have to go back and add them up, but there was probably somewhere between two and four of those hits that were entirely unnecessary just in the context of the game, not even, you know, whether he should have taken those individual hits on those plays. So, you know, you're up big enough that you don't need your quarterback taking those hits. So Mm -hmm. that's, and, you know, I thought the running game, had some moments, you know, where you can hand the ball off to Devin Singletary or Zach Moss and <clears throat> run out the clock. You know, you can use the short passing game. He wasn't missing in the short passing game. So it's a matter of, I think, and a bigger picture thought about what you know, the Bills are and what their season could be. I think looking over at the other sideline last night was instructive because you had a quarterback who was, you know, who's much older than Josh Allen, but clearly physically dealing with the effects of a long season and a long career. There were a couple of really wonky throws from from Matthew Stafford. Yeah, he was uh, missing uh, high on those throws to Cooper Cup where he just doesn't do that you know he was he was really off uh compared to the quarterback you know we saw last season and I think given what he went through in the offseason with his elbow and just the long career that he's had you know it sent some alarm bells off about you know maybe he doesn't have as much left as as they thought when they gave him that contract but also as a whole as a team now, built very different than the Bills, obviously, uh, throwing draft picks around and, uh, you know, not leaving themselves with much young talent to, coming through the pipeline. But an example of how fleeting those moments can be, not to say the Rams aren't going to bounce back uh, and be right back in the mix. I'm sure they'll be back in the playoffs and have a chance to come out of the NFC. But... Things in this league can change so quickly that it's important to to remember that and, you know, really try to take advantage of these moments. Um, 
when you're a team like the Bills because the landscape of the league and the construction of your team can change quickly. The Rams certainly miss Von Miller. They miss healthy Odell Beckham. And they miss the version of Stafford that they had. At least last night they missed him. But missing those two key pieces, one on either side of the ball, changed how they played. And I think their team, you know, we'll see how it holds up over the course of the season. But it just goes to show that the idea of repeating success over and over again, it's tough to do. And the Bills are in a position where they have a younger quarterback and a a roster that they've built through the draft more than than the Rams in some ways. But, you know, they've cherry-picked some pieces the way that the Rams have by, you know, going out and getting Von Miller and trading for Stephon Diggs and, uh, you know, doing some of those things. So just a reminder of, you know, Seasons like this one, teams like this one are tough to build and tough to keep together. And you don't want to do any little thing to jeopardize that. And you could make a certainly make a case that when you're up three touchdowns, running your quarterback on on off tackle runs is probably not probably not wise. Yeah. Um and the the last one, the his last run was on him. That was that was a scramble. And he just he just doesn't need to do that. Uh, but they called a a run when they were up two touchdowns. It's just like what do you what are we doing here? But but yeah, I, I think we're on the same page there. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U S based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Wanted to point out a couple of other things before we moved over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, and there's just there's just so much to, to cover. But I found the, the wide receiver usage really interesting. Um, throughout the game and most notably Stefan Diggs because they completely changed how they used him from how they had been using him over the last two years. Last year he played um, a little over 86% of the offensive snaps and he was out there all the time. That, that was, that was him um, to a T and even when Gabriel Davis became a thing late in the season, uh, Diggs was still out there a high percentage of the time. I don't know if this is a trend that is going to stick, but the Bills, almost the same way that they did with their pass rushers, they they lightened Stefan Diggs' load uh, by quite a bit. He only, by my count, had 
uh, 67% of offensive snaps, which is almost a 20% decrease. And they were like keeping him fresh. And his efficiency was unbelievable. Um, on his 41 sna- total snaps, um, 26 of those wound up being a passing play, whether it was a uh, a pass attempt or one that ended up in a sack. And on those 26 pass plays, uh, he was targeted nine times, had the eight catches for 122 yards, which everyone knows those stats. But that means Stefan Diggs was targeted on 34.6% of those 26 plays, which is unbelievable uh, stuff. To where he is, that that's the mark of a truly elite player that is unguardable, that's getting open constantly. And if that has something to do with the fact that they kind of uh, lightened what he uh, what they needed from him for their the confines of their game plan, like that's that might they might be on to something there. Now we'll have to see what they do because maybe this was a Rams specific game plan. They played Reggie Gilliam a ton in that game. I think he played around 30% of snaps. Um, they they did a few uh, two tight end and fullback formations. They played Jake Kumaro more than I expected them to. Uh, but that I, I just found the the dig stuff really interesting. And Gabriel Davis was the, the one receiver who was out there all the time. I think he, by my count, he only had two snaps off the field, one of which was... Um, on a random play in the third quarter. And then another was on the kneel down play at the end of the game. So he was, he kind of took over that role cause he's a good run blocker. Um, but the, the Diggs thing was, was super, super interesting to me. And, uh, and certainly um, I'm, I'm very intrigued by, by what they, what they do with him going forward um, quickly or, not quickly. Let's let's get over to the defensive side of the ball because we have spent now 43 minutes on Josh Allen and and the offense. But the defense should get a ton of credit for what they were able to do specifically up front and Von Miller is obviously the headliner, but when you have Jordan Phillips um pitching in with a couple of sacks, uh you have AJ Apinesa, Boogie Basham, and Greg Rousseau all getting at least one sack. The uh, the defensive lineman just felt kind of unblockable at times for, for the Rams. And it's they were also doing it without what I consider to be their second best pass rusher on the team in Ed Oliver for the majority of that game. So they were they were super impressive last night. Yeah, they the Guy I forgot to mention in the uh, Odell Beckham, Von Miller, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford spiel about what the Rams were missing was Andrew Whitworth because mm-hmm. uh, Joe Noteboom, I believe his name is, uh, was the left tackle for the Rams. And that's that was a tough one for him against Von yeah. Miller. That's a. It was funny after after the game. Um, someone from I, I think someone that covers the Rams was like. Oh, how how beneficial was it? Uh, he asked Vaughn, "How beneficial was it to go up against Joe Noteboom and and knowing his tendencies?" And Vaughn was like, 
Yeah, I didn't really practice much in LA, so I haven't really taken too many too many reps against them. So I, I found that I found that pretty uh, pretty hilarious, and it just even spoke more to the fact that he just dominated them. Yeah, I mean, no no tendencies needed, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, right. It was you know a, a master of his craft going up against a guy that that's still figuring it out, and he took advantage and. The impact it had, I think, on the rest of the group was substantial. Yes, they they missed Ed Oliver um, because he he got off to a strong start in the game. But Jordan Phillips, I mean, guy essentially disappeared for a couple of years in Arizona. Uh, You know, didn't produce nearly the way he did in Buffalo. They get him back on a reasonable deal, and he picks up where he left off in 2019. You know, having guys like that that can rotate through and having a stronger presence in the middle of the line as a whole because of what they added, if that holds up, it doesn't really matter who's playing corner. And, you know, that I think the way the safeties can take away the deep shot and the way the defensive line pressured last night, we'll see, you know, one game sample size you know, how much of it was a depleted Rams offensive line versus the Bills defensive line being really good. I think there's a mixture there. Uh, But regardless, you know, the talent is obvious. Von Miller still got it. And some of the depth that they have, you know, I think we'll see what they get out of Rousseau and Epinesa over the long haul of the season. And and boogie bash them as those guys come along. But the way it was all clicking on Thursday night, they were they won the battle up front. And, you know, depleted Rams offensive line or not, it was a thorough victory in the trenches. And that's was not always a given with this group. In fact, you know, they were easy to run on uh, at times a year ago. And they were not the most feared pass rush team. And so Von Miller has changed the pass rush part of the equation. And I think some of the other additions inside have changed the run defense equation a little bit. Again, we'll see, you know, against other opponents and other matchups, how it, how it looks, but so far so good. The pass rushing rep that wound up in a sack for, for Miller with the double dip under, one of which uh, from from the chipping, I think it was a tight end, uh, and then to go under Joe Noteboom to get back for like an instant pressure, that's just ridiculous stuff. And talking to some some of the the younger pass rushers about Von Miller, one of the things that that stood out was like when an offensive lineman is going up against Von Miller. Basically, he has every single tool that that you could want. He's got he's got the strength. Um, he can either go through you, go around you, or or dip under. And the way that uh, I talked to AJ Epinesa about this, it's like the only way that that you are stopping him is if you guess right what what what's he going to do. And that is the mark of just a Hall of Fame 
pass rusher. And even at 33, you can still see that he's got so much talent and so much game. Uh, it remains to be seen how that goes throughout the course of a, you know, five, six month campaign here. But I mean, early on, you can tell he was rejuvenated and he was like the right rushing from the right side, still good at it. And, and certainly he's one of the best in the game. Um, but that's not even his, his best side. Like he's, he's, he's better rushing off the left and that's what, where he has rushed from, uh, for the majority of his career. And I, I did find it, uh, really interesting that he has kind of like almost taken a back seat to where he's not like forcing him like, Hey, I need to be rushing from the left side because he realizes it's best for Greg Rousseau's development to rush mostly from the left side. When those two guys are out there, I mean, they still switched him every once in a while, but, uh, Miller was on the, on the right side. I think, uh, I think it was like 22 out of 37 snaps. So he still was on the left side, but a, a, a little bit, but just being able to have that ability from, from both sides was, was very interesting. And, um, th- the other thing besides the, the left, right disparity that, uh, I was, um, I was interested in tracking, uh, throughout the game was total usage because in Denver, he was an 80 plus percent guy. Um, occasionally in LA, he was 80 plus percent, uh, of defensive snaps. But um, right before the final Rams offensive series, where they they told Von Miller like, okay, your your night's over. You're not you're not going in there anymore. Up until that drive, Miller played on sixty seven point three percent of snaps by my count. And so having having him kind of limit those snaps a little bit and still getting production. It's it's a way for them. To, I was wondering if they would fit into their ideology of defensive line rotation with a guy like Von Miller, or if they would be like, "Oh no, we want this guy out there all the time." But they they did it the smart way. Miller up into up until that drive, like I said, sixty seven percent. Russo was at a, a little under seventy five percent. Epinesa was at a little under forty two percent, and Basham was at around twenty seven percent. So they were keeping him in check and. That's another guy. Like we we talk about Josh Allen and um, limiting those hits for him because of how important he is. All the same, keeping Von Miller fresh for the entire season is paramount to their season because of how much he changes the complexion. Like they started two cornerbacks out there, uh, Dane Jackson, who had a nice game. Don't get me wrong. He 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 really really did well and was a badly thrown ball on the interception, but um, did a nice job to kind of turn and, and get in position uh, to to make that play. But he's out there. He's been an inconsistent starter. They had a rookie on the other side of the field, and the boundary boundary receivers that that uh, the Rams had in that game, outside of like you know. The non-Cooper Cup players, I think they had like six catches for, it was 47 yards. It's just, just silly stuff. And a big part of that had to do with Von Miller and the impact that he was having. Even when he was not getting in the backfield, his presence was felt. So keeping him fresh 
and and you know not allowing the uh, the doldrums of a season, especially on a 33 year old, to get too heavy. I think that's going to be really important for them this season. And almost the way that game unfolded almost called into question in some ways how they built the defense to begin with, you know, years ago, where it seemed to start, you know, from the back, uh, getting the corner, getting the safeties. And all the talk about the cornerback play throughout training camp and how they would deal with not having Tredavious White, eventually it'll matter more than, I mean, Cooper Cup went off, you know, and, you know, but didn't have the big plays. I mean, he was just eating up, you know, a lot of underneath stuff and, but still had a really productive game, but all of it didn't seem to matter so much when you have a pass rush and when you have players who can impact the quarterback that way. And they haven't had that in a long time, maybe since before, like the pass rush probably hasn't been that good since before McDermott was in Buffalo. You know, you're probably going back to the ability to impact the quarterback with four rushers. You might be going back to 2014, you know, like it's been a while since they've had that. And yes, it's hard to find Von Miller. So, you know, the idea of building your defense around a Von Miller is easier said than done, but they put a lot into this defensive line and it's Von Miller that's unlocking everything right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Individual performances from other guys were solid, but none of it works. I don't think without Von Miller playing the way that he does. And I think when you have that combination with the linebackers in coverage, Milano's range, Edmonds has the range and also the, height to take away options and throwing lanes it's a it's a tough combination and yes if if the pass rush doesn't get home then we'll start to have some conversations about exactly what these corners are you know but they won't be tested as frequently if quarterbacks have to get the ball out quickly because they're concerned about how quick the pass rush is getting home so it's a potential game changer for this defense. Now, yes, they were the top defense in the league a year ago uh, in multiple categories. They've been a really strong defense consistently under Sean McDermott. But I think this changes. It doesn't matter where they finish statistically. Having a pass rush changes a lot. And I think it's mm-hmm. it's what ultimately in the important games will separate you, uh, you know, and win games for you. And the defense may have been tops in yards or, you know, an absolute menace on young, inexperienced, lousy quarterbacks and, you know, good at containing, you know, some of the better ones at times. But I think the late it's going to be late in games when they're protecting leads that you need a pass rush to close out games. And if they can repeat what they did last night, then that's a really good sign for, you know, when the games get bigger and, you know, more important down the stretch. 
what they could be because I just don't think they've had that under McDermott before. And, you know, it's it's going to change a lot about how they can play and, and what they are on defense. Not to say that they weren't good before, but you'd rather have that piece than some of the other pieces, I think. Yeah, no doubt. It's um, getting the, the type of results that they did um, from the younger guys that, that helped them uh, through that game was had to be such a, a great sign for them. Um, and, you know, it, getting that, that type of production from a guy like A.J. Epinesa, who has been has had a really tough time of it um, through his first couple of years to get a sack and a half. I mean, he had two and a half for his entire career heading into that game. And he, and he came away with a, a pretty, uh, a, a pretty nice game for him. And uh, that's, that's a good building block uh, moving forward for, for a guy like him. And, and certainly Rousseau had the sack um, and, and then Boogie Basham had a nice little day, too. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Um, let's get into the award portion because uh, I got to get over to LAX. So, <laughs> so we should, I should probably shouldn't dilly-dally with that considering how, uh, how busy that airport can be from time to time. So we got to get back into practice here. I had to I had actually like, like write out the awards because it's been a while. Um, gosh, this will be... It's been a while for me. First I of, haven't done... Uh, I know. I don't remember what half of them are, so uh, yeah, exactly. Hopefully, I can live up to the the lofty standard that I'm sure Matt Beauvais set uh, in the the post game shows from a year ago. Absolutely. Um, so I I recalled four awards, and we can, we can add more as we go on, and um, because things inevitably come up <laughs> throughout a season that aren't worthy of awards, but. The core four are the Dre Archer Award for the player who did not show up at all. The Vontae Davis Award for the player who did not show up in the second half. The Matt Barkley Award for the player that surprised you for good reasons. And then the Blaine Gabbard Award for Perseverance. So we will begin with the uh, the Dre Archer Award for the player that did not show up at all in the game. I think there's an obvious candidate here, but uh, I'll, I'll see where, where you take it. So I feel like there's a, a philosophical shift that will potentially be happening on my end with these awards because there's a, a certain connotation to the first two that was necessary uh, more often for these Bills teams of pa- years past than of years present. The Dree Archer Award for me is Allen Robinson. Um, mm, and yep. that's where I note the philosophical shift where I don't think some of these will go to uh, Bill's players um, in yeah. every game. Yeah, you could make a case for Dawson Knox. Uh, wasn't very 
omnipresent for the the Bills offense, but it didn't really impact the Bills offense. And until you go and look, he might have been doing some things that we don't you know see right away. But Allen Robinson, um, the the running joke in the the online fantasy football community from a few of the the notables is. Um, you know, I was unaware that that Allen Robinson retired before the game, um, but but congrats <laughs> to him because I don't know where he was. He was supposed to be a a thing for them and probably will be at some point. But he was one catch for twelve yards, uh, two targets, uh, while Cooper Cup mm-hmm. just ate up all the attention and still had fifteen targets, thirteen catches, one hundred twenty eight yards, and a touchdown. Don't know where Allen Robinson was. Um, but he felt a, a bit like like Dre Archer to me for most of the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I will actually give it to a uh, a Bills player um, for the Dre Archer Award, and that's going to be James Cook. Um, his first professional snap was also his first professional carry, and he lost a fumble and was never heard from. Again, uh, had actually had two other snaps where he was used as a decoy, but they did not use him at all as a receiver. Um, I think they were excited about what he could do in the game, but once he lost the first fumble, I think they just kind of like put that in a box and and refused to open that box ever again. I I did actually think they um they missed an opportunity late when the Bills were up by three touchdowns to not get him on the field and maybe get him a carry or two because at that point try and build the rookie back up I mean I'm sure this isn't gonna crush his career or anything like that but you know how confidence goes with professional athletes and especially young players and you know having a 100% fumble rate um, not exactly ideal for your uh, for your opening game and a lot of people are like, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of players fumbled their their first carry, but those players also got other opportunities in their first game besides that besides that one carry. So I I felt like they they maybe missed the boat a little bit in in getting him a carry or two once the game had clearly been decided at that point. But yeah, I, I got to give Dre Archer to uh, to James Cook. All right, how about the uh, the Vontae Davis Award for the player that didn't show up in the second half? I think you could certainly give that to James Cook um, because he was, you know, you know, and there's overlap on these a little bit, but I feel like, you yeah. know, him not, you know, seeing the field after the fumble, it was very uh, typical of, of Sean McDermott uh, to mm-hmm. put him on ice after that. Um, that's... You know, not a huge surprise. I mean, you could almost give this, you know, to for the sake of of not repeating James Cook, to the Rams as a whole. <laughs> ten ten yeah. at halftime, and then uh, and then at, they had their ring ceremony before the game and, and their retirement party in the locker room at halftime. They were like, "All right, it's been it's been good," and just got steamrolled in the second half. So um, I'll give it to the Rams. Yeah, how many waiver wires do you think Cam Akers, who was like a fourth, fifth, oh, sixth yeah, round that's pick a, in fantasy football, he probably would have been a good uh, Dree Archer as well. Um, Three carries for zero yards. Very tough, tough 
day for uh, folks that that have Cam Akers and and Allen Robinson yeah. in fantasy. Which, if anybody listening to this does, I doubt they give a damn this morning. Frankly, <laughs> uh, yeah, I that's feel fair. like they're probably still pretty uh, still pretty pleased. If you told them that the Bills would beat the Rams by twenty one and look nearly flawless doing it, but that they're yeah that two key fantasy players of theirs would disappear, then I think they would take that trade off. Yeah. So in in fairness, because I don't I don't think any Bills player deserves the the Vontae Davis award for not showing up in the second half, uh outside of outside of Cook, which which you said. I'll I'll give that to to Cam Akers outright. Also an um, honorable mention here, I think, to um that I probably should have would have been a good candidate for for Dree Archer is Sam Martin. Didn't show up. At oh all. God, you're so didn't right. have to punt. No punts uh, for the Bills. You're so right. Um, he, See, we're getting back. He did in, have we're to hold. back in the flow here. He did have to hold, but um, only in the first half. So, uh-huh. I mean, held extra points beyond that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Sam Martin. They could have done without him. He didn't even need to get on the plane. <laughs> well, somebody, somebody, yeah, somebody had to hold the ball for Tyler Bass on those five plays. Um, yeah, that's worthwhile. How about the the Matt Barkley Award for the player that uh, took you by surprise for good reasons? The Matt Barkley Award is there's fewer and fewer players on this team who come out of nowhere but i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with zach moss i think it's between zach moss rb1 it's it's between zach moss and jordan phillips for me uh yeah jordan phillips who i already mentioned you know the way that he was able to jump right back in fit in and and play the way that he did you know if he can keep that up that's a big deal for the defense Zach Moss being involved now, you know, 12 touches, six carries, 15 yards, six catches for 21 yards. Not, you know, Jordan Phillips was the more impressive, but the way that they trusted Zach Moss and the way that he came through on those checkdowns, you know, only 21 yards, but six catches on six targets, I think is a big deal when you're a team that throws the ball a lot and, that's how you're going to have to earn some trust as a running back. I thought uh, it was notable that they got him as involved as they did. And part of it was James Cook fumbling the ball away. But Zach Moss doesn't seem like he's going to give up his role just yet. So, And he was written off at, at times, um, you know, as sort of the, the odd man out in the rotation. But there he was, you know, making, making some – relatively routine plays but being somebody that that josh allen could check the ball down to which josh allen you know old josh allen didn't like checking the ball down certainly not to guys you know like zach moss he wanted to you know he wants to get the ball in the hands of of the receivers but you know i think noteworthy that they're willing to trust zach moss a little bit more yeah um zach moss did have a lost fumble near the end of the game but game was well in hand so it it didn't really matter um i'll go with uh spencer brown for matt barkley award um i was very 
interested to see how he would perform in this game. Felt like uh, he did a pretty nice job on the edge. Have to. Oh, that's the other award. I forgot about that award. Um, well, I'll, I'll get into it. Uh, I want to see upon further review what what uh, what what he did out there, but he's. Um, it it really seemed like uh, he he did a nice job, and it because he was a big question mark heading into the season off season back surgery didn't look all that great down the stretch of last season. So uh nice little job by him. Uh, the, the award that I forgot and how, how dare I forget this award? The gotta watch the table award. I mean, one of our favorite quotes from the McDermott era happening after the Baltimore game where they got pasted by the Ravens and McDermott saying that he needed to watch the tape to see how Nathan Peterman did. So the got to watch the tape award, some, some uh, crossover here, but what do you got? I'll go with Dawson Knox because yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one catch for five yards. Um, this is a guy that is going to impact the offense differently than other pass catchers and it won't always show up and so like I said briefly in in touching on his lack of involvement is you do kind of have to go back and watch and see uh you know what type of impact he was having and you know what he maybe did you know blocking and opening things up for other players and you know how open he may or may not have been so um it's it's hard to it's hard to really fault any receiver in a game like that when Josh Allen is spreading the ball out so much and the passing offense is working the way that it is. You almost assume that everybody is playing their little part, right? That even if they don't show up in the stat sheet, the overall offense is working so well that it's not a huge issue. So... Um, I'm sure when you flip on the tape, Dawson Knox, uh, you know, won't be, won't, won't look as bad as one catch for five yards might indicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I gotta watch the tape to see how, uh, Reggie Gilliam did because he, he played a lot of snaps and I saw a couple of really nice blocks for him. He got hurt, he's, right? He's he one left of those, the game. He, uh, he did for a little bit, but he came back. He he got back on, in on special teams, so he was he was good to go. Um, but I want to want to see how they used him. And we're taking this award seriously this time, but this is very much one of those tongue and cheek awards that that we will utilize in that capacity in, in future episodes. I also but think I want to I want to I also think a, a spot here is the cornerbacks because. Yes, they weren't sure. tested because of the pass rush. So there might be some things that show up when you watch them that um, were hard to pick up on, on you know, uh, because the pass rush was getting home so quickly. So, yeah, it may actually turn into an award that is useful for the, you know, looking forward, um, you know, what mm-hmm. parts of the of the Bills game may have been. You know, where might there have been some holes or where might, you know, somebody have uh, been a little better than than they looked. Mm-hmm. 
And the final award, which is one that's, I'm sure, near and dear to your heart, the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance, which we named last year the Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn Award for Perseverance. But since you're back on the show, I'm not I'm not going to. I don't need to be memorialized. Yeah, we're going to we're going to rescind the the Matthew Fairburn portion of the award. So the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. I'm going to go with Isaiah McKenzie uh, dropping a pass that led to an interception, but then scoring a touchdown. Um, Isaiah McKenzie is still going to drive Sean McDermott crazy, it appears, uh, this season. <laughs> and everyone uh, on, on the roster, and, for that matter. Um, I think the, the fact that he got the touchdown is important because Jamison Crowder played pretty well. Uh, and it looks like there's going to be a time and place for both of those players in this offense. And so Isaiah McKenzie being able to bounce back and not only – you know, get the trust of the coaching staff back, but trust of his quarterback. Um, you know, Josh Allen was basically perfect until McKenzie, you know, let that pass get through his hands uh, and get intercepted. So strong, uh, strong bounce back for him, even though he only finished with two catches for, for 19 yards and that touchdown. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go with, for the Blaine Gabbard Award for Perseverance, Boogie Basham um, barely got any time on the field in the first half. And then once Ed Oliver went down, he was basically into hyperdrive mode. He wound up with, I think it was 27 total snaps by my account, nine of which were at defensive tackle. All the rest were at uh, left defensive end. And he gets a sack and an interception and just, Chose to be that you know I I gave him the gold star for versatility, but he was he was the um, the fourth defensive end by a long distance, and I think he did himself a lot of favors in this game. They they gave him the game active over Shaq Lawson, which was you know they had to weigh the pros and cons of both those guys, but they gave Basham a chance. He rewarded them. So uh, so yeah, Blaine Gabbert Award for perseverance after spending last year's opener as uh as an inactive i believe this year gets the game active and makes an impact so boogie basham blaine gabbert here uh have a nice conversation with one another because uh a nice little uh award recipient there and here's a an honorable mention to the under who would have thunk oh who would have thunk these two offenses the way they finish the season but the under persevered. Strong, strong night for the under. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I gave enough credence to the, uh, to the Matthew Stafford elbow. That was, that was, that was my bust. Uh, my bad, everybody. Unfortunately, I gave zero confidence and advised <laughs> everybody to not take the uh, borderline. Should give it to myself. Usually, I'm terrible at at picking. And I went three for three. So uh, if you if you um, faded me because of my past results, you wouldn't have been in the wrong. But last night you would have you would have lost. So um, if you were backing me, then then enjoy. <laughs> enjoy the fruits of, of your labor. All right. Um, 
I think that'll that'll do it for us. Uh, Matthew Fairburn, thank you for waking up really early to <laughs> to record this episode as I am uh, heading over to LAX to catch a flight back to Buffalo. Um, any sage words of advice for our, our listeners out there? I'd say uh, the same thing I said before is uh, pace yourself. It's a long season. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. it, last night was as good a start as the Bills could have hoped for, and fans could have hoped for. And now, buckle in because that looks like a team that can back up the considerable hype that it built. And there's going to be, you know, some ups and downs and some, you know, bumps along the way. But if they can heart, if they can find that version of themselves at the end of the year, then it could be a, a fun little ride for, for Bills fans. So, um, you know, just there are no more statement games for this team, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think um, that was the last one. That's the last one they get. I feel like this is just this is what they they are now. You know, it's they're the team that other teams make statement games against. And. That's a, a bit of a, a switch for this team. So should be a, an interesting an interesting ride. And I think Bills fans, after their big buildup to this game and, and the result that they got, probably need the, the long gap between games as much as, as, much as the team does. Uh, so soak it all in and, and get ready for a home opener that should be a, a doozy. On a Monday night football game, no less. Yeah, all all uh, all wise words from you, my friend. Thank you very much. Um, and that's gonna do it for us. The Bills absolutely crushed the home or the season opener, defeating the Rams thirty-one to ten, one and zero on the season. Sixteen more games remaining in the regular season, and we'll see exactly what this team is and what they are not. But uh, Bills fans have to be feeling pretty, pretty good after that uh, that overall thrashing of, of, of the Rams on the Rams' turf, no less. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this first post-game edition of the 2022 season. And we will talk to you in the week leading up to the Titans game. See you then.